on your to-do list. Here's what I want you to do. First two spaces, I want you to write something that you need to do this next week. Not like, you know, it would be nice if I did that this is pretty important that I do this this next week. All right? Put one or two things there. All right, the next two spaces. I want you to write down something that you need to get done in the next year. Not like it would be nice, you know, you could put it off till Jesus comes type deal. I mean something you need to get done before He comes. You know, before He returns. A couple of things in the next year. Now, on your last few spaces, I want you to dream a little bit. What would you like to do in your lifetime? Before the end of your... Just some things. This can be a dream. What would you like to do in your lifetime before you die? What do you want to do, Nathan? You're shaking your head. But tell me. Something in your lifetime. You're grinning. Restore the Mustang. I know that. All right. Yeah, that's... <laughs> You're like a guy I saw last night on, on the Discovery Channel. He uh, has owned every model of Mustang that's ever been produced. So he's had 45 different Mustangs in his lifetime and he's only like 50-something. So, yeah, that's, that's going to be you with motorcycles. and. <laughs> All right, well, we are watching Schindler's List today and everything today is about lists. I want you to think about that as you watch this scene. In this movie, 
um, the, the basic idea is what's going on in World War II, and this was in 1939 when, when this started happening, when Jews had, had to be registered. Now, part of Hitler's deal in this movie, and not just in the movie, but in World War II, Hitler overestimated his ability to rule the world, didn't he? He underestimated those folks that he was going to be fighting against. And I just want you to think about, have you ever overestimated your abilities at any time in your life? Give you some examples. You ever overestimated your ability when you've been swimming? You see something out there, you think, that's not that far. I'll swim out there. No problemo. I've done it swimming across a lake and thought I was going to die. I've done it in the ocean swimming out to these inflatable games, you know, like a trampoline. Did that a couple of years ago on a cruise with my parents. I thought, I really thought I was going to die. I was, you know, rolling over on my back and kind of doing the float and trying to catch my breath. And then you get out there and you got to climb up on the dadgum thing. And, you know, anyway, I've been in rivers that were, you know, just flowing like crazy. And and you think, I'm going to swim to that side of the shore. And and you get right across from it. You start swimming. You look up and you're like 200 yards, you know, down. And you're thinking, I'm going to die. You know, those types of things. You ever overestimated your abilities when it comes to swimming? Um, People do it all the time. Have you uh, ever overestimated yourself academically? Back in the day, those of you who are older, some of you are still there. Back in the day, did you ever think, I don't need to study for that test. I have all the knowledge I could possibly need to pass that test. Then the test comes and you're like, oh, no. And you start praying. I had a, I had a uh, professor at seminary. And he used to, of course, I studied in seminary. I, I, I applied myself when I was in seminary. But he used to pray before we'd take a test. And he'd say, dear God, I pray that you allow these students to remember in proportion to the amount of time they spent studying. And you'd hear guys going, no, no, <laughs> give me a supernatural ability. Don't 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 curse me like that. Um, have you ever overestimated yourself when driving? Like in wet or snowy conditions? Wet conditions, our, our Durango, I was out the other day, man, it's actually kind of fun. Um, I was in the Durango and I forget how, how fast that thing is. And I go around the corner and it's like, woohoo! You know, Caleb's in the back and he's going, we spinning? I'm like, yeah, do it again. You know, he's wanting to do it again. Um, or snowy conditions. I remember I grew up in the Panhandle of Texas where we got lots and lots of snow and you respected the snow. When it snowed, you didn't go get in the car and go 50 miles an hour down the highway. But I've also been in the Dallas-Fort Worth area when, you know, once every 10 years they'll get some snow. And I'm like, I get off of the highway. I get as far from the highway as possible because those people think they are under control. But they're not, are they? That's why you see wrecks all the time. Going skiing one time, a guy went flying around us and it is blizzard. I mean, whiteout. You couldn't see from here to the first row. And we're thinking, that guy is stupid. And it wasn't 100 yards up the road. The guy was flipped over on, on uh, his car, was on top of it, uh, on its hood. And we're like, yeah. And there were, all, there were police around. You know, it wasn't like we drove by and waved. <laughs> you know, it wasn't that type of deal. But we're, you know, now that I look back, everybody overestimates himself. Skiing, snow skiing. I don't know how many of you have been snow skiing, but when you're riding on the ski lift, those moguls look about this tall. And then you get over to the top of the thing. I remember my, my best friend and I, we were at the top of this mountain. We said, we can take that. And, you know, we had, we'd only been skiing about three or four years. We can do that. It's a double black diamond. We can do it. And we get to the top and we push our skis over. And it's so steep that you can't see the bottom of the hill. I mean, you know, usually a hill is like this. You're standing here. You can see the bottom. This one's like this. And we're going, oh, no. And there was no way to get back. 
We're like, oh my goodness. So we actually prayed and then we killed ourselves as we're going down. And by the way, when you're with a bunch of teenagers, they always talk about, we went down a double black diamond, you know. And the, if you go down a double black diamond and 90% of your backside is in, in contact with 95% of the slope, that is not skiing down a double black diamond. That is gravity pulling your body down the slope. That does not count. We all overestimate our abilities all the time. Just a few weeks ago, I don't know if you saw this, Mike Tyson made like his 1500th comeback. And this was against some 6'8", 300-pound guy who beat him to a pulp. It was so bad that Mike Tyson couldn't come back off of the, the stool after the eighth round. I mean, he overestimated his ability to make a comeback. Michael Jordan, a few years ago, the first time he retired, he overestimated his ability to hit a curveball. It took him just a couple of years, realizing he was never going to make it to the majors, to go back to basketball. And, of course, he's come back several times. And, you know, you get older... Your, your skills diminish. I'm, I see this. It just kills me. I'm 40. And I see this. Where I used to be able to, to move, now my brain says move, and my body goes, yeah, right. And somebody's over here, and I'm thinking, I really should chase them. And my body says, no, I'm not doing that. We overestimate our abilities all the time. Mark Spitz. Y'all remember Mark Spitz? Raise your hand if you remember Mark Spitz. What was it? The 1972 Munich Games? Wasn't that when he won his six gold medals? I don't know. I may be wrong there, but I know it was in the 70s. Mark Spitz in the 90s decides he's going to make a comeback in swimming. I mean, it was almost as bad as that guy you saw several years ago. He was the only one in the pool. That's almost Mark Spitz trying to, to go against all these young guys. He overestimated his ability, especially against all these young guys, that, that he was going to have to go against. So you name a sport, you name a place, people have done it. In academics, in sports, in investments, every area of life, people have overestimated their own abilities. Well, another place people do it is in the spiritual realm. People tend to overestimate their goodness in the eyes of God. Now, on your listening guide, there's, there's two primary views about heaven, about God. And the first one is called the popular view. It says that when we die, God weighs our good deeds versus our bad deeds. If the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, then we get to go to heaven. And you might be surprised how many people out there uh, believe in this, this view. That's why it's called the popular view. But how many Christians even believe in this popular view? Now, there's another one uh, called the biblical view. And the biblical view says this. It comes straight out of the pages of the Bible. It says people are sinners in need of a savior. Now, the popular view goes like this. Good deeds out, uh, good deeds outnumber our bad deeds and everything will be OK. That's the popular view. So it says basically there are two scorecards. And on these scorecards are kept all your good deeds and your bad deeds. So let's say that this is the good deeds scorecard right here. Good deeds. And every time you do something good, we get an O. Now, I know it's Sunday and uh, a lot of folks don't have just, you know, the best time getting ready for church because you got time constraints. I mean, that's why we start at 11. So, you know, you got time to get here. But I, some of our band members, you know, they got to be here early and some of our workers. And, and so sometimes Sunday is not the, the best time in the world. You know, we joke about this, but it's true. People be fighting like crazy coming to church. Just having, I'm going to beat you. You just wait till we get home. You're going to. And then you get out. Hello, pastor. Well, of course, I also have people tell me I don't look like a pastor. And that is the best compliment. Thank you. Uh, I try not to look like a pastor so that nobody puts on, you know, those types of airs. But we get to church and we pretend everything's OK. But let's just say this was a supernatural morning at your house. And all you thought were wonderful, Jesus honoring, good thoughts. 
And so all of those things would go here. These are your good deeds that are going on for the day. Now, the other side of that, I knew this wasn't going to work. Ashley, you may get to be Vanna White here in a minute. All right, got that. If I bump it, it's, it's gone. Now, over here are your bad deeds. This is your bad deeds scorecard. <laughs> and I know none of you had bad deeds today. But, but let's just say, for, for, you know, for argument's sake, that um, somebody thought a bad thought. Now, we're not going to talk about the things you did. We're not going to go there. We're just going to say that, that maybe you had some bad thoughts. In the last 24 hours, in the last 24 hours, have you um, thought bad things about the people on the road, the drivers out there? Don't, don't confess. No. <laughs> you just, in your mind, you think about it. Have you thought bad thoughts about other drivers? Have you gone to Walmart? Oh, man, I'll confess. Today, I got just kind of put out. I'm at Walmart, and I'm thinking, I've got to get to church sometime, you know. Anyway, sorry. Forgive me, Lord. I'll have to go back and... Never mind. Um, so, have you been to some store? Let's not call out Walmart. I single out Walmart all the time, don't I, Daryl? Um, so, let's just... Any store. You've been in line, and, you, oh, and, and Tammy, too. Tammy works at Walmart. And, and you... Get frustrated with somebody who's there. Maybe the, the service is not as good as you think it should be. Maybe they don't have things where you think they should be. Maybe they've moved things for the 8,000th time. And, you know, you, you think a bad thought. Okay, you'd get an X. Now, let's just, for argument's sake, you know, coaches and referees and, and all those different things, you know, in the last 24 hours, would it be safe to say that maybe... I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt because we know that some days are worse than others. But I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. In the last 24 hours, would it be safe to say that maybe you had 10 bad thoughts? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Is it, is it safe to say that maybe you've had 10 bad thoughts? Not your actions, just 10 bad thoughts in the last 24 hours. Okay. Well... Now, let's say that we go and we, we give you the 10 bad thoughts a day average for the past year. That's 365 times 10 equals 3,650 bad thoughts. If I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt in the last year. Now, most of us here are older than, than uh, 20 years old, right? Most of us. So let's just average it out to 20 years. You know how many that would be over 20 years? 20 times the average of 10 a day, I'm going to put the av, equals 73,000, what is it, Alex? Yeah, do the math. Oh, it is 73,000 even. It's 73,000, actually, it's right at 73,000 bad thoughts that you've had in the last 20 years. Now, I want you to think about the logics of the good deeds versus bad deeds argument. Not going to stay. Nah, if it falls, it falls. I think you got the idea, right? Now, let's say in the last 20 years you've had these things. Are you really going to try to convince me, and actually it's not even me, God, that you've had more good deeds, you've thought good things, you've said good things, you've done good things... More than 73,000 times in the last 20 years? Hmm. Well, I don't think you're that good. <laughs> and neither am I. If I look at my life, there are not 73,000 good things that I've done in the last 20 years. I mean, that's just the reality. And the Bible says that if we have one sin, 
one bad thought, then that disqualifies us, separates us from a holy God. Holy means totally pure. So if we have one sin in our life, that separates us from a holy God. So the popular view and the the, uh, biblical view are mutually exclusive. If one is true, the other one cannot be true. And so if I'm going to have to choose which one I'm going to go with, I'm not going to go with the crowd. I'm going to go with the one that lines up with what Jesus and his followers had to say. So the first view, first problem is that it, the popular view totally opposes the biblical view. The second problem is that the Bible says that even our good deeds aren't good enough to get us to heaven. Now, let's just by some argument say that you have done 73,001 good deeds. I mean, as if that's all God has to do is sit up there, you know, with a counter in each hand. There's a good deed, there's a bad deed, click, 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 you know. God's got more to do than that. But let's say that you have 73,001 good deeds. The Bible says that that's still not good enough. Look at Isaiah 64, 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we proudly display our righteous deeds, we find they are but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins, like the wind, sweep us away. Not even the best efforts of the best person in the world are enough to impress God. So we're really fooling ourselves if we buy into this idea that we can be good enough to get to heaven. And by the way, there are certain religions, world religions, that they teach that you have to earn your way into heaven. Again, that totally opposes the biblical view, as we're going to look at today. And when we keep a scorecard of the good things we've done, what the Bible calls that is proudly displaying our righteous deeds. So compared to God, even our best efforts are like filthy rags. But think about this. In order to make themselves feel better, a lot of times people will compare themselves. I've heard this. They'll compare themselves to like uh, Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden or even Hitler. They'll say, well, I'm no Hitler. Well, right. And then, then they'll say, those guys were evil. They deserve hell. Well, that may be true. But the comparison is not between you and Osama bin Laden or you and Hitler or you and, and, and Saddam Hussein. How come when people are, this is just a side note, how come when people are are comparing themselves to others, they don't ever say, well, I'm no Billy Graham, or I'm no Mother Teresa. We always choose somebody that's like scum of the earth in everybody's eyes, and we say, I'm not them, I'm better than them. But see, if you were to ask Billy Graham or Mother Teresa where they are in the goodness scale before God, they'd say, I'm the filthiest of all sinners. And see, the comparison is not against Billy Graham. Or Mother Teresa. The comparison is against Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus doesn't have any sins. He was sinless. And that's what made him uh, a, a suitable substitute, a suitable payment for us. And so, no matter what you do, if you have one sin, you lose and you cannot get to heaven. Now, think of it this way. Let's suppose that... Um, that there was some type of strike going to, going to hit the United States. And the only way for us to survive is for us to all run to the West Coast, hop in the Pacific Ocean, swim all the way across the Pacific Ocean. That's the only way to survive. You know, everything's knocked out. Quit thinking of other possibilities. The only possibility is to swim from land there to the other side to Asia. And you've got to get there. Now, you might be able to swim farther than me, but you're still going to die. And an Olympic swimmer might be able to swim farther than either one of us, but they're still going to die. We're all going to die trying because no one can swim unassisted from the West Coast all the way across to land. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. 
Um, and, and so it doesn't do any good to brag about, well, I went 100 yards further than you before I died. We're both going to be dead. And, and the argument's not going not to hold water. <laughs> Pun intended. So what that says is that's impossible to swim across the other side of the ocean. It's also impossible for a human to be good enough to get into heaven. Our best efforts fall short. Look what the Bible says. Ephesians 2.1 Once you were dead, not just kind of bad, not just kind of um, sick, it says you're dead. Doomed forever because of your many sins. Have you ever seen a dead person save themselves? No, doesn't happen. You're dead spiritually because of this list of bad things that you've done. You have a list and I have a list. And the Bible says if we have one on that list, we're dead spiritually because of that list. But many of us, you know, we try that. I'm not so bad. I'm really pretty good. But in God's eyes, we're filthy. In the movie, there's this one short little clip I want to show you. And what's happening is that the Germans are rounding up the children because they're going to take the children off and kill them. Because they've got to make room for more children coming into the camp. I'm not going to show you that part. But what's happening is one little boy realizes that he, if he gets on this truck, he's going to die. So he's running around desperately trying to find a place to hide. Watch what, where he finds to hide. kind of makes me sick to my stomach to think about how horrible it must have been that a child will run and, and jump into the sewer. And I think you would agree that what this little boy needs is for somebody to save him, somebody to clean him up, somebody to rescue him. And that's a picture of what God sees in our lives, in the spiritual side, because of our list of sins. If we sin, it says we become filthy before God's eyes. Well, to be saved literally means delivered or preserved. It means rescued from the power of sin. The amazing thing to me is that this rescue is offered to all people, but not everyone accepts this rescue. Some actually prefer to stay in the sewer. They say no to God, and, and God will not force anyone to get out. But I can't understand the mindset that says, I am comfortable in the sewer. Have you ever worked on a sewage pipe? Just recently, our toilet was leaking, so I had to take the toilet off and do some work. And they tell you to put a rag in the toilet because the fumes are noxious. If you've never smelled I did both toilets back here in these bathrooms, and boy, there are some noxious things in this building. Oh, my soul. Wes and I were working on a drain at his house the other day, and we didn't plug it up. And I thought Wes was going to hurl when the noxious fumes came out. I mean, he went sprinting out of the bathroom. I'm like, okay, wherever you go, just don't do it on me, you know, that type of deal. But let's say you do more than just smell the fumes. Because I've had to do a lot of 
toilet work at my house. <laughs> you got three kids. There's a lot of toilet work. Let's say you get your hand in the sewage. What do you do just as soon as you pull your hand out of that sewage? Just as soon as you can. What are you going to do? You are going to wash it, probably pour Clorox on it, alcohol. You are going to disinfect that sucker because nobody in their right mind leaves raw sewage on their hand. Um, <laughs> you either clean that hand up or you cut it off because nobody in their right mind is going to leave raw sewage on that hand because that's a bad deal. Well, when we choose to do bad things, when we choose to think bad things, when we choose to say bad things in the spiritual side of us, it is like jumping into the sewer. And what we desperately need is for someone to save us. We cannot, like that little child, we cannot save ourselves is what the Bible says. So we need to be disinfected and cleaned up. The Bible says that's what happened when we, when we come to Jesus and ask Him to forgive us. Look at Romans eleven twenty seven. This is my commitment to my people, the removal of your sins. God does more than just forgive your mistakes. He removes them from you. All you have to do is take your mistakes to Him. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to God, He can always be trusted to forgive us and take away our sins. When you confess your sins, what you're doing is you're actually leaving your list of sins at the cross. You're abandoning them so God can take care of them. Ephesians 1, 7 says, He is so rich in kindness that He purchased our freedom through the blood of His Son, and our sins are forgiven. Now, you've made some bad choices in life, haven't you? <laughs> you, can, you can nod if you'd like at this point. You've chosen wrong friends. You've chosen to do wrong things. You've lost your temper. You've said ugly things. You've been rude. You've had a bad attitude. When you look back over your life, you might say, if only, if only I could make up for those bad choices. Well, you can. One good choice at this moment in time makes up for 73,000 bad choices or however many sins that you've committed in your life. You can be cleansed and disinfected from your sins by the blood of Jesus. That's God's promise to you, but you have to ask for it. It's offered to all, but unless you receive it, unless you ask for it, it does not apply to your life. And if you'll bring your list to the cross, look what Jesus does in Colossians 2.14. He took this list. Hold that up, Ashley. 73,000. If you bring your list to the cross, the Bible says He took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. You can put that down. Thanks, sweetie. Now, I want to show you one more segment from, from Schindler's List. If you've seen the movie, you know the premise. Schindler wasn't a good guy to start off with. He was a womanizer. He was only interested in money. Um, not a good guy. Somewhere towards the, the, the middle to the end of the movie, he begins to have compassion on the Jews. He realized they're not just you know, pieces of meat that, that you can kill indiscriminately. Towards the end, he begins to share his fortune in buying Jews. And that's what's happening at this portion of the movie. Alex, would you put the... Um, do you have subtitles you can put on? <laughs> it's just kind of hard to understand. Okay, never mind. I don't understand. Actually, you want these people, these people, my people, I want my people. Who are you, Moses? Come on, what is this? Oh, what's the money? What's the scam? It's good business. Yeah, it's good business in your opinion. Look. You've got to move them. The equipment. Everything to Czechoslovakia. 
paper on that and build another camp. It doesn't make any sense. Look, look you're not telling me. It's something. good for me. I know them. I'm familiar with them. I don't have to train them. It's good for you. I'll compensate you. Yeah, that's right. It's good for the army. Yeah, of course. You know what I'm going to make? What? Artillery shells. Everyone's making artillery Tank shells. They yeah, need that. Shells. Everybody's happy. Everyone's happy, except me. <laughs> I mean, they're probably scanning me somehow. If I'm making a hundred, you've got to be making three. Hmm? And if you're still making three, then it's four, actually. But how? I just told you. No, you didn't. That's a difference. Yeah, all right. Don't tell me. I'll go along with it. It's just irritating. I can't work it out. Look, all you have to do is tell me what it's worth to you. What's a person worth? No, 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 no. What's one worth to you? Aldous, Pepperberg, Miller, Pepperberg. Stegel, Stegel, Paul, Paul, Paul Stegel. The investors. I want all of them. Uh, Fischer, Ishmael Fischer. Ishmael. Toshev, Norman, sir. I'm sorry, sir. Come on, Stegel. Sharp, Sharp. The children. All the children.
did go so obvious you just told him how many people you needed and favorite line in the movie. The list is an absolute good. Around its margins lies the gulf. To be on Schindler's list meant to be saved from the Germans. And if you've seen the movie, you know that there were literally hundreds of people whose lives were touched because of Schindler, because he purchased, he he literally purchased their lives. And I, I, I can almost imagine God saying to Jesus, what is one person worth to you. And Jesus says it's worth, that, that one person is worth everything. And he offers, he offers that to everyone, but not everyone takes it. Now, your list has grown longer every day. Your list of sins, my list of sins. And here's the deal. When you die, um, you have to do something with that list. Actually, you've got to do something with it before you die if you want to get into heaven. And God also has this list. And on His list, He's got a different list. His list is the name of every person who's asked Jesus to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their lives. So when you die, then, then you've got a choice to make. If When you stand before God, He says, what is your name? Jesus opens up what's called the book of life. And if your name is in that book, then you get to go into heaven. If your name is not in that book, then you don't. And so the choice you've got to make before you die is what are you going to do with your list? Let me see that, Ashley. If you choose to hold on to your list of sins, then when you stand before God, He says, why should I let you into heaven? The only thing you've got to give Him is this. Because of this list of sins. That's like saying, I'm in this sewer like the little boy, and the reason I need to get into heaven is because I'm in this sewer doesn't work that way. God says, I offer a way for every person to get into heaven. But you must humble yourself enough to ask for it. And you can, you can make the right choice now to have your sins removed. Before you do that, I want you to look back at your to-do list. Had you fill out a to-do list. I want you to look at those things that you wrote down before you, you die. Things I want to do before I die. If you were to prioritize that list, where would giving my life to Christ come on your list? I would hope, based on what we've talked about today, if what I've told you is true, if the biblical view of things is true, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, 
then I would hope that coming to Christ would be at the top of your list. Because what you do before you die determines where you go after you die. And you can make that one choice right now that will wipe out all of those bad choices in your life. Will you just bow your heads for a moment? I want you to think about the spiritual condition of your life. And the fact that if you have one sin, the Bible says that you are filthy in God's eyes. Now, if you've come to Christ before, if you've prayed and you've said, God, be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life, you don't have to pray that again. The Bible says that God adopts you into His family the moment you cry out to Him. In Romans it says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So all you have to do is say, Lord, save me. If you've ever done that, then you become a part of God's family. You may not have living, been living like you're a part of God's family. You may need to come back to Him, but you don't have to be saved again. Being saved is a one-time event. When I stood at the altar 14 years ago with my wife and said, I do, and I put on this ring, I, I told everyone around that I am committing my life to this one woman. I wear this ring as a reminder to all who see it that I am in a committed relationship with my wife. I'm not kind of married. I'm not mostly married. I am all the way married because I made a commitment. You can't be kind of saved. You can't be kind of a part of God's family. You're either in it or you're not. And it's based on a commitment. And if you can't remember a time that you committed, I'm not saying that you can put the, the minute of the day and the calendar date down. But if there's not been a time that you've committed your life to Christ, then you are not a part of God's family. And it's time to do business with Him. So, two options for you to pray. One is if you've never prayed before and never been adopted into God's family, it's a real simple prayer I'm going to lead you in. It's just going to say, God, I need you to forgive my list of sins. And I need you to lead the rest of my life. That's, that's all you're going to pray. If you've been living like hell, you know there's been a point where you were adopted into God's family, but you've been living like you're not a believer then you just call out to Him like you would the most loving Father you can imagine. And you say, God, will you take me back? So if you never come to Him, you say, God, I need help with this list of sins. Forgive my list of sins and lead my life. If you've been far from God, you say, God, take me back. Those are the two options. And maybe you just want to get closer to God and you say, God, help me to grow to be more like Christ. Once you take your registration card and do me a